Well, welcome to episode eight. I'm your host, Dan Steers from Double Dan Horsemanship, and this episode's going to be a little bit different. We're going to take a break from our Double Dan timeline. We have co-host special comments, Kim Hagen, here with me. It's about bloody time you got that button sorted. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you going? I've got technical. Oh, that's sensational. Maybe just once more, just to make me feel really special. All right, all right, settle down in the background. <laughs> yeah, I was actually like, as I was doing that intro, I was like, press the right button, press the right <laughs> button. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's yellow. I'm pretty sure it's yellow. What are the wrong buttons there? All those other buttons, you know, we've done the sounds before. Exactly. We, we yeah, don't need yeah. to go through. No, I was just wondering if you pre-recorded, if you're worried about other things coming on. I have got, I'm going to, I've got one pre-recorded. therapy sessions. I've got one pre-recorded new one that I've learned how to install, so you less have to wait for that one. Man, if I'm special, come at your high tech. Hi, Tech. There we go. Well, anyway, for the listeners, it's going to be a little different. I've got Kim here for the first half. We can't get both Kim and Dan James on the same episode this week. So then the second half, we're going to have James and myself answering some questions from our listeners. So we're going to put that out on our socials and uh, we're going to get through a few questions. And like I said, it's going to be a little bit of a different episode, but we'll get back to normal. And things are, speaking of normal, are slowly starting to feel back to some normality with the COVID-19 situation. I just finished a Liberty Clinic here at home last weekend and I leave this week for 10 days of clinics um, on the road. I think I have three clinics in the 10 days that I'm gone. What about That's you? The so how the, yeah. the clinics go? Did you find it much different with the with the rules? Well, we we already had one clinic just before the, the full lockdown. So there was a bit of um, social distancing stuff and cleanliness that we went through there. So we were already a bit up to speed, but it was really just um, the, the food thing was a more different than anything because we cater for the clinics we have here at home when it comes to serving people it's a whole whole different thing so Pia got up to scratch there and it was a lot of um a little bit more work for her but um got, yeah, through, right. got through it really well um social distancing it's pretty easy in clinics to do the whole social distancing thing because once you got your horse you're not hanging around and touching everybody anyway you're all sticking to a distance yeah and, and so when we sat around we just spread the chairs around a little further and and really that was about it i can't think of anything that was too different we we had a, I guess the 10 number was, was also in force where we didn't have any more than 10 people down there at, at one time. But I've got a clinic this weekend and, and it's 20 people. And um, they, we thought probably by this weekend it was going to be a little bit more open, but it, it's not yet. They called the um, local authorities and basically we're, we're running them as two separate groups of 10. As long, yeah. as, as, long as they stay apart, then then they're happy to go with that. So, I mean, we're outdoors and you know what it's like. It's, it's pretty safe. Well, worst case scenario, somebody needs to get married. Yeah. Well, you, I th- yeah, you can have 20 there, but if... I'd, exactly, then you're right. So all you need to have somebody drop to a knee well, and um, problem solved. The other way we could look at this is we just have to have a protest. If you have a protest... Or a religious can... gathering. Religious gatherings are allowed 20. Oh, okay. So you was... could say that... Yep. Well, see, we for years with the kids with Google, you know, they'd say um, in your application form, they'd say, what religion are you? And we'd just say equine. Oh, and um, it never really got commented on, but, uh, you know, kind of, we, we pushed it a lot. And um, quite frankly, you know, you could start a new cult. 
Yeah, that's a good idea. In that fact, would... I don't think it's that new. I think a lot of people have been dedicated as a cult for a long time. In horse, particularly in horsemanship, if you follow a a style or a person or a clinician, a lot of people can almost follow it like a religion, like you've mentioned. Um, I had on my run sheet here to ask you what news you have to share with us. You got anything new since we spoke last? I bought a truck today. Ooh. Bought a uh, new horse truck. Another so, one. Uh, yeah. Well, we we kind of jumped on it because it came at the right price. So we bought a um, bigger truck. So we're kind of, you know, um, getting around to um, various events and we're kind of struggling to fit the horses that we wanted to on the current truck we've got. So we've got bigger and um, it's a lot simpler. But um, yeah, cool. So we've got a new truck. Um, other than that, just been busy with work, doing a whole heap of horses' teeth and um, cutting nuts out of other ones and uh, everything in between. So from one end to the other of the horse. Yeah, right. Well, that's pretty cool. A new truck. I even managed to sit on a few this week. Right. Four days in a row I've been riding. It's been unprecedented. Wow. So you got a few saddle sores? No, I'm good. I'd say more the horses call things carrying me around. Well, I actually, <laughs> talking about riding, um, I had a lesson myself this week with renowned cutting horse trainer Todd Graham, and he's in the area, the $2 million cutting horse rider in Australia, which is which is hard to do. Like, I don't know if there'd be in any of the, I guess, non-racing disciplines we would have a $2 million rider in Australia. I'm not sure if we would. But anyway, Yeah, that's cool. So that's why you didn't come out for a drink the other night. I thought you were giving a lesson the next yeah, morning. Yeah, I know I would. He wanted to be fresh, but oh. you were at having a lesson. I was, having, cool. I was having an early morning lesson with Todd, and, and it was really cool for, for me, not only learning some new stuff that I'm, I'm trying to implement into my own program, but it was also cool, and I, that's why I added it into the to the podcast for the listeners, is is for us, you know, when we go in front of, um, you know, an, another horseman or, or anybody that we're getting tuition from, you know, it's a good little reminder about how participants might feel, you know, riding in front of us or, or getting taught by us, because I was feeling a little nervous, and you know, you got you you, you, feel, you feel out of place a bit, but at the same time, it's a bit silly because I know myself, and and I and I'm not you know talking for Todd, but I'm sure he he thinks the same. That they're not sitting there judging you and criticizing you. They're just happy you're there and and uh, happy you're, you're sort of wanting some help and and you're there giving it a go. So I, I sort of thought I'd put put that out there because you know people probably don't realize that if you are a clinician, you, you're still probably out there getting help yourself and and learning and trying to improve. And and that's what I was doing uh, on Monday. Absolutely. Everybody can learn something. It's funny you say that because I think the same thing from, from a vet point of view. Like, um, I think it's always good to um, have the shoe on the other foot. So you kind of observe, like I broke my leg pretty badly playing rugby one year, a few, oh, 10 years ago thereabout. And um, it wakes you up to all the things that, you know, an animal's going through when they're in pain and, and you know, kind of in the rehabilitation process and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I think like anything, you should be kind of, you know, self-analytical and um, – self-critical the whole time and trying to improve. Well, I hadn't really thought about it from that side of things as far as the veterinary side. So if I feel like you're getting a bit slack, I'll just jump on one of your feet or something and just say that. Just bust me up. If I'm getting, yeah, a little bit dull and kind of, you know, think I'm taking advantage of the horses and, and just taking them too cheaply, yeah. I'll say sharp, sharpen up, I will. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, even though that we're not going to follow the timeline, which is that now we're touching on the 2011, which which we'll follow in the next, next episode, I thought we'll go over a little bit of it just 
just for the listeners to sort of, I guess, get a head start on, on what we're going to follow on from. So in 2011, that's where we we get our business manager, Daz McDowell, which we spoke about in the last episode, and things get a lot more organized and, and we probably get a lot more professional as, side as, as far as the business side of things go. And James starts getting, I guess, geared up for the venture to the state. So even though that he really has only moved there in the last few years, this has been in the planning now for quite some time. If you look at it, it's nine years ago and, and he partnered up with TaylorMade, which they featured in last episode when we're talking about the World yep. Equestrian Games and, and going there yep. working with the yearlings. So from that, actually a partnership grew and they helped us out with, I guess, almost um, I don't know, sponsoring us in a way, bringing Dan over and, and then he started working for them and the horses got sent there and we had a base to be set up from and, and they helped us a lot with the business side of things, getting the, I think they call it LLC over there, which is essentially like an Australian company, all that sort of stuff they did over there in Lexington, Kentucky. So we'll, we'll sort of delve into that part of things when we have James up and going. We also performed on Australia's Got Talent, which was a huge thing for us. There's heaps of stories to come out of it from everything from the preparation to the to the show itself, to how surreal it felt, uh, to probably not really knowing what it was going to do for us. Like I remember I was down in um, Tasmania actually doing a horse show down there when it was aired and um, I had some horses down there doing a doing an expo and when it aired I thought oh, that's really cool and you could literally see the followers going up on our Facebook page by the thousands like it just was really, yeah, wow. it was ridiculous like you check every few minutes and it was just another thousand or more and uh, people obviously Where'd you end up at? Well, I can't remember it at the end of that it was it was tens of thousands from I don't know what we're at at the time and I should have probably looked at it a bit bit harder but then that clip itself's been viewed like there's one on YouTube it's been viewed over 10 million times or more so it's still yeah. getting played a lot and they've even played it in other got talent syndicates in I think the America's got talent showed it the Britain's got talent showed it and uh, it's, it's sort of gone around the world which is really cool which we didn't expect obviously we just wanted to give it a go and uh, when we have Dan on on the line and we get into the next episode we'll go through that because that's probably going to take up a big chunk we also start working on our education program a lot more so you know we talked about last episode Kim that we had the one DVD and we tried to jam everything in and that didn't really work so then we started to go all right and Dan and I sat down and started writing out a lot of our program and and working on things and even you know probably to give the listeners a bit of a behind the scenes on this some of the stuff we didn't necessarily agree on either so even though that we're teaching the same stuff we sort of still got our different approaches and what what one might think is more important than the other so even that I think is a a real credit to Dan and I not trying to toot our own horns but for us to work on that and, and be start to be a little bit more mature I guess and think that you know we have these discussions on the order of of what we teach and and what we teach and and you have to be I guess a united front it's a bit like parenting when you go yeah. to these clinics you can't have one person saying oh no no this is how it's done and while the other person's behind their back saying no no do it do it in this order and uh, you're normally the one behind the back going do it in this order yeah right. and Pia's going Dan Dan well certainly with the podcast she's trying to she's trying to put the chain on me a little bit she's trying <laughs> she's uh, an outrage we will not be stopped well I said the last episode I'm like don't worry last episode's pretty clean and, I, and they start getting a whole lot cleaner really there's there's a couple of stories that will come out of it going on from that training program Equitana Sydney was the first time they only had two shows Equitana and Sydney but the first one it was a big one for us you were at your Dubois 
torch low in 2010, were you? Well, maybe that's <laughs> youthfulness. A youthfulness was that <laughs> maturing up. I that's, got married, remember, at the end of yeah, 2010. I was going to say, the irony of it is that's when you got married and you started becoming a bit more bloody sensible. Yeah, conformed, yeah. Yeah. So then the Sydney, there's a couple of stories, and it was actually, you're right, because it wasn't me. Sydney, I was behaving myself, but Dan James and uh, and a few of the others that were accompanying him, his entourage, got a little loose at Sydney <laughs> Equitana. And uh, even to the point that we've got one of those, we're sponsored by John Deere. We've got one of those John Deere Gators, which had a double Dan uh, number plate, so you couldn't even hide. They've they've driven that out on the road and parked in front of, I think it's the Hyatt Hotel there or something like that. You know, the Novotel. No. It's the Novotel. And they've parked it in there to walk into the bar. It's parked at the front. And like most of the Equitana staff are actually staying at that hotel. Yeah. And this thing's not even supposed to be on the street. There it is, parked with the double down number plate. So that story will come out with the Sydney Equitana. From there, we also, we finished that event. The girls took the horses home and Dan and I took the midnight flight across to New Zealand. And when they took the horse, and then they were there for a couple of days and then they flew to New Zealand. One of the funny things about that, and I've only just remembered this, I haven't written it down, but we actually couldn't find the keys for the truck. And so we're trying to get these girls out of Sydney on Sunday night after a big show, huge show for us. It gets bigger and bigger each Equitana. And we've had a huge show and then you think you're going to load up and go and we can't find the the keys for the truck. That's because you bloody played up like Rusty Lawn though. Well, I didn't and I I was to blame. I put the keys in a safe spot that I could not remember. (laughs) And eventually through just heaps and heaps and heaps of searching, we found them. Do you know where they were, Kim? They're in a safe... Uh, Just think of safe spots that they could be because it wasn't... Yeah, it wasn't like misplaced. No, well, I was on the road. Where am I going to have an undie draw? Mate, you're a sport bastard. You got all sorts of stuff in that truck. No, nah, this is the, not the new truck, mate. This was the old truck. But, <laughs> anyway, but anyway, old bang. Yeah. It, it was in the whip bag. The stock whips have a really nice padded bag because they are valuable and we take care of them. And in the shows, so I've put them in a in in one of the. There's a little pouch where you'd put like your crackers and a spare fall and things like that. It's not very big. I've put them in there because that will be safe. Because we always look after our whip. So if you know where your whips are, you know where your keys are, unless you forget that you've put them in there. So that was even a side note. I'll have to try to remember that to talk about that when we have um, James on for the yeah. episode number nine. And we're getting into it, episode nine. Can you believe it? It only seems Look like that. yesterday that we that we launched episode one. So going over to New Zealand, which I mentioned we did that night, the reason Dan and I got the jump on it, so we obviously go over Sunday night, we land, it's now Monday morning. We had to find horses to perform with for that Saturday night coming Saturday night. Mm, nice. Yeah, so there was a bit of stress there and again... So you already have contacts out. over there? We're supposed to. What what it was is we've asked um, and I won't get into it too much because we'll cover it in, in that next episode yeah. but, but we've asked for some types of horses that would suit and we had some ideas and they wanna, put in... You want a Kamanawa? Yeah, no, we didn't ask for a Kamanawa but we... We got um, someone else. They put it onto somebody else. And it's winter over there coming into spring and, and a lot of horses were turned out. And he sort of was like, yeah, yeah, he's just a casual Kiwi. You actually met him when you came over there, Travis. He became, he's become a oh, good yeah? friend of ours. Yeah, so Travis got yeah, it. Yeah. He didn't even know who we were or anything. And he's like, I'll find these a couple of strains of horses. So we get there on Monday. We're driving around and around and around. He's driving us to all these different places and the horses are out of condition, not, not suited. And it was actually... 
actually Dan James and, and myself that that sourced our own horses without even knowing anyone. And and there will be a good story that comes out of that. But I'll save that for episode nine, right? Yeah, right. So there was the couple last little things that we'll cover is we also launched this DDTV. And it was a bit before its time. Like Dan and I have talked about it. We're probably more geared up to do it now than then. But we're a bit ambitious and we were, you know, paying for a videographer and, and we were launching these, you know, I guess online content where we're interviewing a bunch of professionals and in any discipline and we're putting training tips together and we're making these little TV shows. We had these behind the scenes footage of, of events and shows that we've done and we even travelled the Nullarbor again that year and we, we took this guy with us on the Nullarbor. So I was actually a bit excited because I've gone through my Facebook and had a look at it and I thought we've got lots of footage that we'll be able to share now again after that episode is uh, aired or launched and people will be able to have a, have a look you know, at uh, some of this stuff that they probably haven't seen because it's it's sort of buried in the archives like they say and <laughs> st- stuff yeah. that you've probably haven't seen you you performed on remember when you did your, your song that was for DDTV yeah and, I remember that and you joke and we've we've shared it again but there's plenty of other things on there since uh, James isn't joining us and he was supposed to bring us the conversation starters I thought well, oh, did you come up with something well it's a segment that's brought to you by Ash Barnett I'm not coming up with these if you think I'm the one yeah. coming up with them I'm getting sent yeah. them from from one of our loyal listeners so this sort of follows on from the would I hope you, it's better than the arms and legs one well it's very similar I was just going to say it's following on from that uh oh right because I got to say that was I was disappointed with that well, it's just a conversation study you don't have to it's just <laughs> it got you talking though didn't it yeah I'm telling you this needs to up its game Barnett's in on bloody hot, hot seat here righty okay well this one's this one's from her if your little finger could grow back as anything what would it be and no matter how many times you cut it off it always comes back and you can't and it, whatever you put on there you can't trade it for money so you can't say oh well I'll just make it a, a gold bar gold. And, and then I'll cut it off and cash it in and so I've I've written it down but I haven't put really any thought into it because I think it's a good conversation starter for you and I to carry on with so what do you think about that yeah that's um well, I suppose it depends on on your kind of well obviously depends on your your aspect of looking at it like if you were you know a survivalist you'd, you'd it'd be like a little water bottle or a perhaps a coconut so that you were forever <laughs> yeah you've got a coconut little finger so then you've always got you know a bit of feed and a bit of drink oh but that, it's gonna get in the way clumsy it's it's i, I was thinking like a so you're going bottle opener, opener, maybe. <laughs> i was thinking like maybe a bottle opener <laughs> You've already got a ring on your other finger, which opens bottles, so that's problem solved. Yeah, you're right; it does that. But that's what I was thinking. I'm like, that's handy. You'd have, a, you'd have a bottle opener there, and you'd be like, I don't know why I've got this bottle opener because I already open bottles with my bloody finger, my ring finger, or a pencil, or a pen, or something. I don't know. It's a good one, isn't it? What it isn't bad? Maybe uh, missing truck key. Yeah, uh, like an all-out universe. What about a universal remote? Universal. Yeah. Ooh, now you're talking the, so the you, bopper of all boppers. Yeah, you just get on there. You turn on any TV that you're out, change the channel, just point that finger at it and click away. Battery and goes flat, you just snap the finger off and it upgrades another one. Happy or, day. or it could be like uh, the latest iPhone and, and when the iPhone like gets changed, you have to cut that finger off so it updates. I'm doing my very best to stay clean with it too. I want you to appreciate that. I hadn't even gone there. You were shocking, Kim. <laughs> now I want to hear what the R-rated one <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I don't know. I've already figured it out. <laughs> All right. So lock one in. I'm gonna I'm gonna lock in Universal Remote. Yeah. See, the other thing I was thinking is a is a um, see that's pretty cool. But I'm kind of I'm still stuck on the potential survival thing, and I'm thinking a potato. You see, oh. if, if a potato, you can, this is the most versatile feed. If somebody ever said to me you can only have one feed for the rest of your life, like one type of food, what would it be? Potato is the out and out winner so, because you yep. can fry it, you can mash it, you can have it as thin chip, you can uh, you hash brown, too many options, roasted. It's just it's the winner. Well, so, um, so Sophie loves potatoes. Worked for us now for like you know, nearly the whole time, eight or nine years, and on the same way, like. she loves a potato. But the funny thing is, she doesn't like mashed potato, and she will have three different it's sides. Definitely the of low pot- of the low. She'll have three different sides for a meal. You know, she would have like a chips, um, let's say a hash brown. <laughs> A potato scallop, you know, she would have those three as a as a meal, but you but she doesn't like the mashed potato. But yet, if you go to KFC, she'll hit up the, the oh, gravy. No. Yeah, the gra- that one she loves that. That is the pestilence of all of those meal deals. I'm they pretty go- sure it's powdered too. I reckon that mash is powdered. Oh. It's just rubbish. They go, oh, look, we'll give you this great big family pack and it's got a thousand bits of chicken, a few pop chicken bits, some chips, and we're going to throw this dirty bread roll with a dirty bloody mashed potato with gravy that every time in our family at least, that's the thing that gets chucked in the bin. Yeah, it right. can sit in the fridge for days afterwards. It's a waste of space. Mashed potatoes, I was going to say, I agree with those. It is the love, the love potato. And unless you've got a really good goulash and some damn good kind of sausages to bang over it, you have no go with mashed potato with me either. Yeah. Hustlebuck potatoes are the best. Have you ever had a Hustlebuck potato? No, I don't even know what that is. I'll make them for you one day. You look it up, they're bloody good. Oh, I look forward to it. All right, yeah. mate. Well, we'll press on because last week I introduced my brother to the podcast. Yeah. We're going to get him back online. I gave him the challenge to come up with a new segment, right? I don't know what it is, but if it stinks, we're going to have to send him back to the drawing board and say, hey, sharpen it up because it could be a bit of a dud, you know? We've, we've, nah, I've got faith. I've got total faith. I reckon this is going to be a winner. All right. Well, let me let me see if I can if I can get him on the line. All right. That's it's okay. going to be technical because we're going to have to have two phone calls. I've never done that before on the podcast. So let's go. All right, Kim. We've got my brother on hold. I've got a little intro song for his segment. You ready? Ready. Craig's world. Craig's world. Craig's world. Craig's world. Craig are, you, Craig, are you there? Yeah, that's unreal. Yes, I'm here. You like that's that? Gold. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. I'm getting way more technical. Not only did I create that, I put it into the machine and you've got your own button. Okay, you maybe you could sung it yourself. I could have done it live, I know, but I th- thought the button was more reliable. Yeah, for sure. I was just hoping you could turn it up a little bit more next time. <laughs> did that blare through your phone, did it? Yeah, yeah I didn't quite hear it. With the distortion on my phone, I didn't quite hear it really that cool. Um, and the other thing I've got to say is I'm a little bit jilted that I haven't got intro music when I come on the show. You're the co-host. You don't have intro music. I don't have intro music. The whole yeah, sh- but you're the host. I still want. I still want. I want you to work on it, and I want a piece next week. Do That's you, your homework. Do you think you're a special? Mate, you have your name written in the description <laughs> on Spotify. Yeah, I've got my brother really? here to back me up. Cool. Yep. And yeah, I'm feeling, I, a, I'm feeling a little, little jilted. And I gave you an applause today. Yeah. Well, that took eight episodes. <laughs> I can press the button myself. <laughs> so at least you've got it. At least you've got it. So, Craig, tell us, what's the segment? Okay. 
So rumour has it that Kim is a bit of a trivia buff. Head-to-head, if Daniel and Kim go against each other in a trivia competition, that probably Kim's going to come out on top. Is that fair? Not probably. (laughs) This is not fair. This is just a recipe for disaster. All I can do is fail. The minimum I can do is meet expectations. This is not good. Anyway, yeah, wonderful. This this is definitely set up for you to fail. Um, already... Having said that, mate, all the glory if you win. Okay, you, you know, okay. we're, we're setting you up for uh, if you win, it's it's massive. Now, the idea here is obviously I have knowledge of Daniel from longer than anybody. Yeah, and I'm going to go back into the Daniel archives from stuff that I remember about Daniel that maybe other people don't remember. The game is going to be like a um, guess who type, celebrity head type game where you guys will ask questions that I will answer yes, no. The twist is that the answer to the to the quiz will be someone that Daniel would probably think of more likely than you, Kim. Yep. Still a famous person that you're both definitely going to know, but someone in Dan- that Daniel should definitely have the upper hand with. Right. Wow, so we go question so for Daniel, question. you need to think about... Go back. Go back to stuff that maybe I would know about you that maybe Kim wouldn't. Oh, so we're giving hints here as well. Like, uh, Kim, I'm do you feeling, like it? Really properly set up here. Kim, do you Bring like how he's calling me Daniel as well? I'm getting a lot of Daniels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's confusing when, when Kim calls you Steers because my ears, of course, prick up as well when he says Steers. Yeah, yeah sorry about that. <laughs> so I've got to think, okay, because, yeah, and, and there isn't, I mean, I don't have a huge advantage because Craig and I, we've got six years apart, so there's a lot of stuff there. I'm not sure, you know, what he's thinking about. But anyway, who's going to start this off? Well, I think it's fair that Kim starts it off. First question. Okay, so, so is, the, is the famous person in the horse industry? No. Excellent. <laughs> Is the famous person on TV? Has been, yes. Ooh, has been. Has been. So we're implying by that that they're no longer on TV regularly or they're um, – this yeah. is my question, by the way. This I'm is your question. Point. No, this is no, your question. Not, no, it's not. I'm just, just helping no, you it with It sounds yours. like a question. It sounds like a question. <laughs> it sounded like that it was. Okay, is the famous person in the entertainment industry? Yes. Oh, that's a given, Kim. Come on. We'll narrow it down. Is it a musician? <laughs> You wasted one. <laughs> is that your question, Dan? Yes. Daniel? No, not a musician. So how's that a wasted question, Kim? It's a wasted question you because said- I made you made you define mine a bit better. Oh, and oh. being great if it, if you come up with a positive. He's playing tactics here, mate. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um. So they've been on TV. They're not a musician. Um. Were or are they the host of a TV show? No. Oh, so mm. are they an actor? Yes. Uh, have they had a movie out in the last? Seven years. Yes. But probably not as popular as they were previous to that. Is it Paul Hogan? No. Is it Michael Jordan? <laughs> no. Okay. Damn it, next right, week. Hang on. This is me. Is it is it a um is it a male? No. Ooh. Okay. Uh, is the uh, female? Oh, hang on. I've got it. I've got it. You go. Kim. Okay, Dan. No, I'm Kim. excited. Oh, Kim's question. I've Kim's got to question. Take a guess on this. Yep. Kim's question. I've got to take a guess on this. This is a an actress. Um, been on TV. Is the famous person? Nicole Kidman. No. Negative. Okay. Is it Julia Roberts? Yes, Daniel. Beautiful job. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I was a huge, <laughs> huge fan of Pretty Woman, Kim. I love the movie Pretty Woman. As a okay. young boy, I watched it too many times to admit. <laughs> 
You actually got that quicker than I thought, Dan. I, I'm very impressed. Well, when you said the uh, hasn't the female, I got that. Then it was the seven years when you said, "Oh, hasn't had much." You know, had a movie in the last seven years, but not as good or as, as popular. Yeah, I'm looking at a Wikipedia page right now. The last couple of years have been a bit quiet. Yeah, well, she's got all that. She doesn't need to work. She's rich as hell. Aaron, Aaron <laughs> Brock- does mention that too. Aaron Brockovich would have been the other big one that she would have cashed in on. The Pelican Brief. No, that, I mean that was a while ago. That was. Yeah, right. And I left yes, it. it was. Um, yeah, the Ocean's, Ocean series as well. And oh, um, right. yeah, yep. the Academy Award for Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, that was yeah. a big one. A pretty Woman what it, is what it's all about here. Pretty Woman. Yeah, good work. There we go. So I'm, I'm uh, there you go. one for one. I'm, I like that segment. Good job. I like it better that I won it. <laughs> so do, you, do you get double points if like it's like a home and away series? So like, um, not the TV show, but it's like a football game. If, if you're at home, you're expected to win it and you only get one point for a win. But if I got that right, I was two points. Well, I, yeah, two points if you win. Yeah. Yeah, I've only got to get one right every second week, Daniel. And I'll be right up here like a rat up a rafter. Okay. One nil. One nil to me. That's Craig's segment. I'm going to play his song again to close out that segment. Here we go. Yeah, good work. I liked it. Well done. Craig's World. Craig's World. <laughs> Craig's World. Craig's World. There you go. It's Craig's Solid. World. You love it? I'm dancing to it. It's just gold. I got you both there. We're going to wrap this first half up. So, Craig, you don't know this, but we've, we've got it set up that it's actually going to be two halves that I'm going to mash together. So it's been good to have you both on the line. Thanks for having me on, guys. And do me a favor. I've been thinking about this, listening to the podcast after the last few, well, for how many weeks it's been. It's been fantastic to hear uh, from James. I haven't spoken to him in person for a little while. Say hello to James and his family for me. There you go. So we will do that uh, next time. I'm going to get him on here tomorrow. So I'll be recording with him tomorrow, and then we're going to mash these two together. So I'll bring that up with him tomorrow. And uh, now I know how to get this phone where we can add phone calls in. We might play this all together in one of the uh, episodes as well. It's a good effort, Craig. Well done. All right. Thanks very much, guys. It's been fantastic. All right. Can't wait to hear the podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. That's the first half of the show. Stay tuned here for the second. All right, I have Dan James on the line. You there, James? Yeah, mate. How are you? I'm bloody good, bud. It's a little bit unusual. I don't have Kim Hagen in the studio with me, so we've done this episode in two halves. I did his one yesterday, and now I've got you here today. How have you been? Mate, I've been good. I was going to say that it's down quiet already without him. I know. He chimes in so much, but I'm actually missing him, to be honest. Um, and I'm, I was going to talk, <laughs> talk about this later, but since you brought it up, there's, there's also a few reviews on on Apple Podcast and people have been reviewing and we really appreciate that. But a lot of the comments have been in support of Kim Hagen. He's, he's certainly the fan favorite. I'm going to read a few of them out for you, okay? Righto. So the first one that I've, and I've just taken a few, there's lots of them, but there's just a few here. This one is special comments is the real headliner here, pure gold. That's one. Did he write that himself? Well, I'm wondering if some of them are his because I'll keep going, <laughs> right? Number, number two, such a shame that he's 
such a great vet because otherwise he should launch a career into commentary. Very funny and somewhat intelligent bloke. That's another one. And I just took a snippet out of that one because it was a very long review all about Kim Hagen. Wow. Another one. We've got a few here. Kim seems to be stealing the show. Number three. Number four. Good old special comments. Definitely completes it, which that's sort of fair. And then the last one I've added in here, it is Kim is like the Hamish Blake of your podcast. Oh, that's a pretty big call. Yes, so it is. Um, a good compliment. Yes, so I am missing him a little bit, but he's getting a little bit more confident too, so it's hard to get a word in edgeways. The other thing firing back at you, James, you're also supposed to bring the conversation starter. Have you got something for me? Yeah, I've got I've found some great questions for you. Okay, fire away. It's the hardest part here. We'll be deciphering which one to use today. Oh, you've got a few. Okay, fair enough. Well, we can spread them over a couple of episodes. Yeah. Well, what I'll do is I'll give you the choice of uh, which ones that you want to um, use today. Okay. All right. So first one, what are what is one of the most important unwritten rules of your workplace? Oh, unwritten rule. It's probably tidying up after me, to be honest. What's yours? Uh, don't touch any of the Palomino's mane. Don't touch his mane, did you say? Yeah, don't don't uh, cut, oh, cut. Uh, Palomino's mane. Well, that, that that's a big one knowing how big Vegemite's mane is is and that's probably a fair point I'm trying to think for me you know we hog most of our mains over here so that's not I that. know that's, I always get nervous about a saving coming over no nah, surely not well you, you never know I mean I remember um, at Longreach Pastoral uh, College there um, I remember that a couple of them nearly clipped John, John's uh, cutting horse's uh, main off and I think there would have been some, some death had that happened but um, yeah I think if you're just in that dock horse field but I mean yeah you'd, you'd have to be um, you have to be a bit loose cut old Vegemite brain, but anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So for the listeners that don't know, and uh, Vegemite, I mean, he, he does feature on our social media pretty strongly. He's the Palomino with the longest mane. So it's it's down to what his front knee, isn't it? Well, they, they took it out yesterday because, you know, of course with COVID and everything, you know, he's not been anywhere, really done anything. And they took it out yesterday and watched it. It's actually, um, it, there's very few strands, but it's actually on the ground. Really? Unbelievable. So they, yeah, it's like grew. I would say since January to now, it's grown probably six to eight inches. Oh my lord! Well, there you go. So there's another one. I, I think another rule, but I don't think it's an unsaid rule at our place here is picking up manure, like in the arena or, or in my round yard or anything like that in the yards. I'm just big when we have any uh, interns or, or or any of the staff here. It's like if you see a horse poo, pick it up straight away. That's one that I drill into them, but. At the same time, it's not really an unsaid rule. So I think the tidying up, I just have this expectation if I drop something, it's going to get picked up by someone. And that probably frustrates Pierre a bit, to be honest. I, I could see that. Have you, um, have you got another one? I got some more. Yeah, I got a few. I got a couple of good ones here. Like, so I'll let you. I'll, again, I'll let you choose. Um, one, if you were transported 400 years into the past with no clothes or anything else, how would you prove that you were from the future? Um, that's one of the questions. Um, or you've got right, second choice is if you were wrongfully put into an insane asylum, how would you convince them that you were actually sane and not just pretending to be sane? Okay, I'm going to pick that. Um, that um, well, hold on. Right. And uh, the other one we got here, I do have some other, some other good ones, but uh, the last one, I'll give you four, four choices. 
if one of your horses could talk, which one and why? Oh, I'm going to pick that one now. I've changed from the asylum and we'll leave the asylum for when we have Kim Hagen because I think he'll have an interesting perspective <laughs> on that one. The horse side of things, I would probably go with double image, but 007 would be a close second because he's he's probably, if not cheekier and, a, and is good at manipulating when it comes to the Liberty team. He seems to be coordinating a lot of the things that are going on behind the scenes. So I feel like he would be chatting a bit. And it's only funny that you brought it up because today when we were working the horses, I was working bison and and the bison are a bit cheeky as well. And I actually started like, I started with with Sophie and Brian were there. I started to, you know, talk out loud what I think the bison would be saying about the horses because they remember every horse and, and they seem to just pick on the green horses. So I'm like, how do these suckers know? Like I'm riding these horses around the yard and if, if you're riding next to the bison's yard, they'll come to the gate and pretend to charge the greener horses. And most of the time the greener horses get scared and they shy away. So you're sort of like trying to tune up the bison to say, don't do that. But then your green horse is shying. And, and I was sort of saying that if it was the bison, I wonder if they're talking amongst themselves saying, you know, look at this horse dropping his, you know, shoulder in or running out in the shoulder or he's doing this. Here's a green one. Let's chase him. You know, they, they seem to must know from how the greener horses are, are working that, that they can get the bluff on them. Where when we were sort of working the older horses or the more established horses, they just stay, sit in the corner and they and they don't move. So I'm like, they must be watching everything and talking amongst themselves. So I did a bit of a, I don't know what you could call it, but a voiceover for them today. So it was, it was probably fitting that you brought that um, that question up. What about you? What's your horse that you reckon could talk? If you could talk, which one would you pick? I mean, I think I think the one I think the one that would be uh, very popular to hear um, her commentary, of course, would be Amelia. Oh yeah, I should I shouldn't have even asked. I should have just known. I don't think you'd. Um, I don't I think, think you'd want to know what she was saying though. <laughs> I know, right? But I think we should put it out there to the listeners. Um, and we'll leave it in the comments below. Like, if they could pick some of our horses, they can um, pick one of yours and one of mine. Which ones would they want to hear from? All right. And, and the reason why. Okay. And what I'll do, I'll take it one step further. So if, if you guys are listening out there and you comment on our Facebook, because I always put some promos out for our episodes, if you comment and and uh, and name the two horses that, that Dan were just referring, one of mine and one of his, um, and and we'll go through and read your comments out and then we'll even even send you a prize. How about that? That's a good incentive. That does sound like a good deal. There you go. Well, speaking about our listeners, James, we've got a few questions. That's what we've done. We've upset the timeline. We're not doing the timeline because Kim Hagen doesn't want to miss out. And the 2011 year, which I alluded to at the start of this episode, is another gangbuster year because that's uh, when we did the Australian Got Talent. Australia's Got Talent, I should say. And, uh, and then you also spent a bit of time in the States and it sort of things took off from there. But we're not going to do the 2011. I asked our socials, I put it out to the social media. If you had some questions for Dan and myself and we've had a heap come in. So we appreciate that. We're going to just go through a few. I don't know how many we're going to get through because uh, I know James, you have to get to another call in a little bit, but I'm going to read out some questions before we finish here. So I've got one from Rob Pierce and he says, I would like to know some of your tech 
techniques. I'll just pick one. How do you train a horse to run into the arena and drop down onto a beanbag? If that technique question doesn't fit, how did Dan James get interested into the freestyle reining? So I think we can answer both of these. I know we sort of asked for one question and then said if if we didn't do one, he'd like the other. But I think we can do both. And and I'll start with the beanbag one since I think double image is is probably the most famous for that. In a in a show give Rob a bit of the what before you get into answering the question, give Rob a bit of a shout out. He uh, uh, won, I think it was last year, the um, uh, the Nomco division that had Congress in the freestyle reigning. Um, Rob um, also competed in our senior division um, at our International Liberty Horse Show recently. Um, does does a really good job. Oh, okay. Well, it's good to have a little bit of background because I do know some of the people that have commented, but I, I didn't know Rob Pierce. So I'm glad you brought that up, James. Going back to the to the beanbag part of the question, it's almost a two part question in in itself because, as you know, James, it's really just Mark training essentially to get the horse to run out into the arena. He could be running out to myself. He could be running out to another horse. He could be running out to the beanbag. He could be running out to to the mark. Which, for the listeners who don't know what I talking about when I refer to the mark, it's, it's really just a, a block of wood that we start the horses on, which we've been shown from Heath Harris, which is used a lot in the movie horse training business to get the horse to sanction to a target. So he knows exactly where to go. So you can imagine how it'd get used in a movie or a TV commercial. Dan and I have adapted it into our live show. So a lot of times we start in the arena and and I know with, with DJ, you've got your whole Liberty team running out to you where you start first with, with Apollo and then Amelia and then Swampy and then the Palominos come in and then the Pony comes in and it's a great way to start the show because, of course, the spectators don't know that there's more horses coming in. They don't know where they're coming from and, of course, the willingness of the horses for a start, just seeing them come in is is also amazing. The second part to it is then teaching the horse to actually literally sit on the beanbag and both you and I do it a little bit different. I know we started the same way because we, we, were, the, we were together when we taught horses to sit, which we used a, a sand pile or or sawdust pile so that the horse I guess backs up and and sits onto to the sand or or the sawdust and it's just an easier way for him to get the concept and then we transitioned it into the beanbag but you're just going straight into it now aren't you Dan you're just going straight to the beanbag and you're doing it from under saddle is that right yeah mate I've I've found um, here in recent times probably Swampy was the first one I did it with and it was you know I tried a couple of times on the ground it just didn't seem to be you know working so I kind of came up with you know standing the the beanbag sort of vertically in the corner at the end of the session when I got done riding him I just asked him you know to sort of back up and, and initially not even try to sit just to lean against it and then within three days he went from leaning against it and touching it to putting a little bit of weight against it to, to the sit and it was just like so crazy easy being on it and as long as that your horse is fairly obedient to your hands and your feet um, I've, I've found about 99% of people being successful at it. Yeah so for myself I've always just taught it on the ground and, and I usually you know I'm ordering in some sand for, for my yards or for the arena and, and sort of I use that as an opportunity. I'm yet to go straight into the beanbag and I, and I and I will try it with the next lot of horses because I am intrigued. The second part to this question is then how do you DJ get interested in freestyle reining? Well, I think, mate, both you and I had kind of talked about the freestyle reining, particularly after seeing Stacey Westfall, you know, run like most of the rest of the world did. Um, I mean, that was kind of, I, I think, a lot of the um, introduction and that to it. And um, I think then the second part was is that in coming over to the, into the state, 
you know, wanting to be involved in, you know, another form of competition. And, you know, I always enjoyed, you know, the, the cow work um, that, that, you know, the little that I got to do in terms of competition at home. But, you know, as you know, what it's like trying to have a facility that then you have access to cattle and, and all of that, how much more, you know, difficult that makes it. Um, the, you know, and the other big part that probably drew me to the uh, reigning side was that it was a world equestrian game sport. Yep. So probably a combination of those of those few things and but the freestyle reigning seemed to be a you know a real good introductory point to get get into it because it, it allowed us to use some of the other skill sets that, that we had outside of reigning. You give a bit of a head start absolutely and knowing that you know we can add the entertainment and I think it goes back to also entertainment as far as being creative and, and using your creative side of your of your acts to think that you can incorporate that into the competition which has always amazed me because you know both you and I obviously do shows together and then you do your show separately in America and I do my shows separately here in Australia as well but that's something that I've always been I guess super impressed with yourself James is that you don't get complacent in your shows or your competition as far as you go oh I've got this really good show and it's working really well and I'm just going to keep doing it you know basically forever or until I can't do it anymore you get a really good act and it's going gangbusters but within 12 months you've already changed it you've added more horses or you've changed it completely and your freestyle is the same like you know all your freestyles you might do the same one a couple of times but not really any more than that you're changing your costume you're changing the theme changing a lot when it comes to your freestyle acts so that side of things to me speaks more about the creative side which you must really enjoy yeah i definitely enjoy that um you know that aspect of it i mean it's great to you know to, to see and to hear the reaction of the crowd like when you get something that they can really relate to or you know laugh at or you know what that that might be i think i'm always challenged though by you know your, yourself and and definitely elizabeth is always you know wanting me to kind of step up my game um on it she's been a very big driving force behind um you know for example the game of thrones one i was kind of on the fence with that and of course um you know she was a big big advocate for that one and uh you know it was of course hugely popular um so yeah i think that there's um i do enjoy the creativity side of it for sure um but there's definitely uh you know both said yourself and elizabeth and that that kind of you know put some challenges out there on, on some stuff to do um on that side of it that you know that keeps you keeps you going well thanks for the shout out there and i'm sure elizabeth is listening and enjoying that as well so thank you the, the next question will move on i've got one from megan harrison so you would have met megan at the world equestrian games in 2018 I guess it was, was it? Yeah. Yep. So Megan came over from Australia. She's done um, a few of my clinics over here and she's written in. So thank you, Megan. She's got on here. Okay. So it blows my mind when I see you guys working with your Liberty teams and directing each horses to do something while the others may be doing something different. She would like to know more about how we direct each horse. So I'm guessing this is more in relation to when we're working, obviously, multiple Liberty horses and, and we've got them maybe going in different directions or one's laying down, one's circling or whatever it might be um, there. The shortest answer I can think of, James, and you chime in here if if um, you can think of anything to add to it, but it, it does take, it's a bit of two things where we're more whip driven as far as our horses read our whip cues more than they read our body language. So it helps us uh, individually communicate to those horses if we uh, say we're working with two whips and we're directing 
those whips separately or or to individual horses and, and cueing them. But then it also comes down to their experience as well. Because I always know, James, when I start, you know, a new Liberty team or bring a new horse into the Liberty team, that they're really focused on that whip. And when you may be communicating to another horse, asking it to do something, whether it's rear up, lay down, go a different direction, whatever, that that other horse is like really intense and is watching that whip. But then when you look at the other horses in the Liberty team with more experience, that those horses are, are sort of relaxed and, and, and half switched off. I mean, they're aware of what's going on, but they know it's not being directed at them. And slowly over a few sessions, you start seeing the, the new horse that you've introduced, you know, start to let down and start to figure out, I guess, the pattern a little bit more and, and know when it is directed at them. And then at the same time, if they do make a mistake, and, and this is a bit more on the training side for Megan, if, if a young horse overreacts to it or, or, or tries to do something extra is probably the best way to put it and read another horse's command is not to really worry about it too much and punish the horse, just just to sort of reassure the horse that, um, that it's his opportunity to, to either stick to what he's doing or have a rest or whatever it might be, whether it's, you know, you're separating these teams out. But I know with myself, I'm only really performing with three or four Liberty horses and, and you're doing five or six over there, James. So for yourself, what do you think when it comes to working those horses sort of in a team, but also making sure that they, they think for themselves individually? I honestly think that you, you know, pretty much covered, um, I would say, 99% of it. I mean, the, the reality of it is, is that, as you know, you know, each of those horses have to go through um, their own amount and separate amount of training individually before they get worked as a team. And, and if they're doing that effectively, you know, by the time that I, you know, honestly find whether, it, you know, that you have two or, or multiple horses, if you've done that first age and foundation correctly, it does just seem to fall together more or less. Um, that, that I would say is the most important part, like you kind of covered about um, the importance of them working correctly individually first before putting them together um, in a team situation. And then they, it's amazing how quickly, and I think you'd you know, find the same, you mentioned it is um, how quickly they learn the pattern. Absolutely. And, and I didn't probably clarify that. And I'm glad you did about making sure that they're working confidently individually first, not just sort of having, you know, one horse follow the other. They've all got to be out there thinking for themselves. I'll keep moving on because I know we're pressed for time. I've got Sam Granger, and I think that's how you pronounce your last name, Sam. So hopefully I got that right. She's got a great question here. She said, what do you enjoy most about being where you're at with your horse career, helping people, training horses, or performing or starting babies? So that's a few things that we do as far as the clinics, maybe educating uh, outside horses, performing in our shows, or then, of course, starting the youngsters. So I'll let you start with this one, James. I think it's a little bit of all the above. Um, you know, I probably don't start. I know you certainly start a lot of cults and that through um, your clinics back there. I, I, I do probably less of that um, than the other aspects these days. I mean, you know, the, um, as far as, you know, I still really enjoy the, the freestyle reining, the performances. Um, you know, the, I enjoy teaching the Liberty Clinics in particular. Um, yeah, I think any time that when, when we have the time to work on a project on a new horse of ours, I think that that passion is still very much alive and well. Um, you know, when, when we have young horses, you know, coming along, I, I probably enjoy getting through some of the foundation. Um, you, you know, once that foundation is there, whether it be at Liberty
Beauty or Ridges. I'm starting to probably enjoy the, I guess, some of the more refined um, moments in it more than um, than probably just the initial start of the process after doing it, you know, so many times. What about you, mate? Well, for me, I guess my number one that I'm enjoying the most at the moment is is working with those young cow horses and, and trying to develop those as best I can and using all the techniques that we've learned as far as being able to get a horse to work willingly. And I think that's the liberty side of things. I'm, I'm sort of challenging myself all the time. And this is probably a conversation you and I are going to have, you know, at a, at a different time in asking you as well, almost a question from myself is one of the biggest things that I keep relating back to is our liberty horses being so willing. And when they're so willing to, whether it is running in and sitting on a beanbag or, or whatever it might be, is how do we get that into our ridden horses? So I'm always challenging myself with my ridden horses to get them to be as willing as my liberty horses are on the ground and then also incorporating that into the cow horse side of things. And and I'm not getting the opportunity to compete probably as much. You know, I do a few competitions a year, but I'm but I'm really excited about setting them up in the sales and selling them as sort of two and three-year-olds and then seeing them go out with professional trainers or with, you know, the owners and going out there and competing and seeing how those horses match up against other horses in that same age bracket, whether it be camp drafting or the reigning cow horse type sort of competitions that we have here in Australia. So that part is is probably number one for me, but then I really do enjoy the clinics. I love the teaching side of things because that challenges me as well. And, and realistically, as I answer it, I'm, I'm probably saying I like a bit of everything like you answered, James, and the fact that it makes our job more interesting to know that we're never doing the same thing for too long. You know, the performance side's really good, but I think if I had one of those, you know, if, if you and I, or even just myself sort of separately was performing the same act, you know, five or six nights a week, like some of these shows do, or, you know, 50 weeks of the year, I, I couldn't cope with that. You know, it's, it's, it, it would do my head in, you know, I like the fact that like we mentioned before with your reigning freestyles and our, and our entertainment is that, you know, you can do it, you can sort of start to think you've mastered it and then you move on to, to a new idea and that refreshes you and refreshes the horses. So I really like that side of things um, for me. And that's what I try to incorporate into the performances. You know, I try to think that none of our acts are exactly the same. You know, even if we're trying to do the same act, we sort of alter it a little differently depending on the crowd that we have or the horses that we're using. So a little bit of everything is really my answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, that, that I totally agree with that. All right. So I'll press yeah, on. For sure. I've got Holly Island and you, you shout out if you know any of these guys that are commenting here, James, because she said straight off the bat that she loves the podcasts. Thank you, Holly. And she looks forward to them each week. We appreciate that. And then her question is, have you guys ever done work with horses and people with disabilities? And what is your favorite memory so far? And I'm wondering if that is obviously memory working with the riders maybe with disabilities. And I put this question in because there's a lot of questions. I couldn't fit them all in. So I try to pick a bit of a variety of questions. This one I put in there in particularly because I was going to throw that straight at you, James, because I know that you've worked with a few para dressage riders. Can you talk about that? I'm not dressage. Oh, sorry. Correct myself. Raining. Para raining. Yeah. Um, we had the opportunity um, a number of years ago to work with a, um, a few of the para rainers um, over here. And, and that was awesome. You know, we could, you know, top gun the, the great stallion that we have who was the 
had you know been a reigning horse and uh, just got one of the best dispositions that you could ever come across. And um, yeah, he was. We, we were able to help one of the ladies with him, and she had an absolute blast. Um, it was cool. She ended up actually winning the power reigning that time um, in that that particular um, event. And then one of the other guys, um, Freddie um, Winter, he uh, he often competes not just in the power reigning, but also in the regular non-pro divisions over here in some of the open divisions. And he always brings a heck of a, um, a performance anytime that he comes along. You know, Freddie is a force to be reckoned with. Um, great disposition. On, on life and stuff um, but both of us might have had the opportunity to visit several different occasions with different power riders and um, you know even uh, our friend back there in Western Australia um, Sharon that uh, competed uh, on numerous times for Australia we've always had a pretty close uh, friendship with her Sharon Jarvis yep absolutely so she's um, I guess lived with us for a, for a period of time when we were in the Hunter Valley and, and now she's with Heath and Rosie Ryan down there and I love catching up with her and, and we've helped her with her horses as well as, like you've mentioned, plenty of others. So we we do really enjoy that side of things. And it's hard to sort of think of some of these guys, you know, I know it's a, a disability, but all of these people that we've worked with, I mean, they're, they're the most inspiring people. And and they're just, you know, it's 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 just amazing to see what they do with horses that only makes us work uh, a little bit harder, which, which we appreciate spending time with them. Again, we'll keep pressing because I know we've uh, got a timeline here to follow. I've got V Gan, and she's asked, with the Liberty Clinics being done in New South Wales, can people who don't have their own horses enroll in the clinics and learn with some of your horses? This is probably more of a question where it comes down to the specific clinic, um, depending on whether it's here at home in a, at a Tamworth base, being it's a New South Wales question, or whether it's one of the clinics that we do uh, elsewhere. So if it's a clinic here at home, um, it's not, not that I've necessarily necessarily supplied a horse for somebody to do the clinic with, but it's something that we probably certainly could do. But a lot of times, and I know you're the same, James, when it comes to the Liberty Clinics, we let participants practice with our more established horses to get a bit of a feel. Like I I don't do it in my introduction to Liberty Clinics, but I do do it in my level two clinics. Do you still do that over there, James? Yeah, we actually um, do it probably more commonly now than than ever before um, because we have a lot of people that, you know, that fly in from different different parts of the state that want to come and do a liberty clinic but of course you know aren't in a position to bring a horse in in conjunction you know with it due to the travel and that so um, we actually offer um, we always have a young horse around and they can you know both get to kind of start and work that one and then like you said we um, often particularly in our five day deals um, allow participants to go through and work some of our older liberty horses to gain some more feel for it which just gives them you know great opportunity to, to learn and to be able to then try to you know replicate that back onto their own horse um so there's yeah there's actually a lot of occasions that we've um that we've done that well there you go hopefully that answered the question next question i have here which is a bit of a fun question and it'll be pretty quick and easy to answer which one of you guys wins in an arm wrestle against each other and i'm just going to answer it straight out that would be james he, he loves to work out oh i don't know he's nice and strong i don't know i think they'd, uh, i think i think these days maybe be uh it, it could go either way oh come on well maybe we'll try it next time we're in the same vicinity but I just also know with your competitiveness James hates to lose listeners whether it's something horse related or not what was that 
I've no idea what you I've no idea what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And we can even get Donald on the line one day and talk about it because often you guys are wrestling around <laughs> and I know that you'll use literally any tactic to beat him when it comes to a wrestle. So I uh, Yeah, when it comes to I, I would I'm not I'm not below, you know, a bit of a kick to the to the lower groin area or a poke to the eye. Yeah, a little eye gouge. Um, that, that, <laughs> yeah, certainly I think well within the limits of um, of that beating Donald. Okay, so we'll get back to the horse questions. I've got Courtly Lou, who's another good listener to the podcast. What's the coolest thing you've ever seen a horse trained to do? I'm going to let you start because I've got to think about this sure. a little bit. Yeah, I was oh, I've got hoping it. that you have got it. lead that away. Go, go for it. You'll be able to help me with the name because I'm terrible with names. But when once I start talking about this act, you're going to know the name. It might be, um, is it Barnabas? The horse that canners yeah. forwards and backwards. That's, oh, that's going to be a hard one to Because not, there's, there's a, I know there's a few people that have claimed it, um, but this is a true canter backwards. The horse comes out, the act that I've seen, and I'm pretty sure you showed me it, James. It was on a, like a, essentially a plank of wood. I don't know what you'd call it as far as it was a, it was a narrow, long bit of wood in an arena. So you could hear this. It was a dancer dancing on this, uh, on this wood with, you know, boots and it was really cool. And then this dancer's sort of going backwards and this horse comes cantering out towards it, towards it, very collected. And then it's cantering on the spot and this, you know, um, ladies dancing in front of this big horse and the horse is, like I said, cantering on the spot and then it starts cantering backwards and it's a true canter and it's collected. And, and I saw that and I was just like, mind blown. Yeah, that's a, oh, that's a tough one. To, that's a tough one to top. That was, that was, that was very cool. Um, you know, I think that, you know, despite, you know, probably uh, the, the bullfighting aspect of it, Merlin was probably one of the coolest athletic horses that I remember, you know, watching and being bored by. Yes. Um, who, of course, is the famous bullfighting horse. And, you know, whether you love or hate bullfighting, you know, that, you know, puts that part aside, watching that horse as an athlete and being able to read the situation and to uh, throw a dummy move out there. I mean, I thought he was pretty incredible. Yeah, that um, that YouTube video, and it was probably before its time again, I'm, I'm I know it's had millions of views, but that that was out when basically, you know, YouTube was even half famous and people were looking up things more than 10 years ago. That video clip was out there and, and I saw that was probably one of the first YouTube clips I'd ever seen. And and I'd, I don't know how many people I showed that to because exactly what you said, I mean, take aside the bullfighting, let's just forget about that. But when you watch that horse's athleticism, softness, confidence, it's unbelievable. And I remember showing Mark Buttsworth that video James and he said you'd have to breed a mare you know you've got a guy who just breeds quarter horses and stock horses for camp drafting and cutting and he sees a big Andalusian type horse and it's a totally different style of horse you know a big 16 plus hand horse with a higher head carriage work a cow in a totally different aspect and for him to say you would breed a mare for that horse I was just like that's how cool he is Hey talking about breeding horses um, right there I forgot to tell you at the beginning of this all we had a uh, another foal hit the ground just yesterday, a little bit late in the year okay. um, for what we'd obviously really like. But um, out of a uh, Andalusian bullfighting bloodline uh, mare, that, uh, the uh, bucking mare that we have by Vegemite, and we ended up with a um, silly, uh, silly foal with a um, pretty uh, white blaze down. And these are going to be like, I mean, it's going into debate here um, at farm 
right now, but either Palomino or almost that like champagne type colour. Oh, okay. That would so be interesting. But she's a, yeah, pretty cool looking, big, strong filly. So I'm very excited about that. That's the second one by Vegemite out of that mare. Okay. So I want to see some uh, photos on our social media to, to have a look at this. I'm, I'm intrigued. We'll keep going because, like I said, we do have a bit of a timeline to make sure that we uh, finish this episode within. I've got a question here from Toby. He says, hey, team, loving the podcast. Thanks, Toby. It's been a great insight to your careers and having a laugh along the way. With you guys being based so far away from each other, what's the future for Double Dan Horsemanship? That's pretty deep, James. This is deep. Well, I mean, I, uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I guess one of the things that um, that I really enjoy about Double Dan Horsemanship is, is the fact of how we work together and and it doesn't matter in what situation. I think when we go back to our timeline, uh, hopefully I remember to bring this up in the next episode is, is the fact that that 2011 year is about the year that we start probably separating a bit more and, and that's we're doing clinics separately and we're doing performances separately and that's sort of the first of it. Up until then, we're sort of really doing everything mainly together, both in the clinics and in the shows and the entertainment. And it was almost, it took a little while for both of us to sort Sort of, I guess, you know, figure out how we do the double dan thing with without having two dans, but it particularly took, you know, the Australian crowd a bit of time to figure out how we were going to perform without having each other there. And so, as far as, I guess, you know, where are we going with this in the future? We've always just worked together and we evolve and, and and we're both passionate about obviously horses, but then, you know, you're more passionate maybe about the rain and than I am about the cow horse and things like that. But everything that we've ever done has always complemented each other, almost like the yin and yang. And so, you know, it's not really answering the question, where does it, where is things going? For for us, is it's just that I hope that into that future, you, you'll still see both of us, you know, really strong ties to one another, but obviously being in, in different continents, that part doesn't change. Yeah, mate, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I don't ever see um, Double Dan changing from, um, you know, how we've, you know, started and represented ourselves and, and our, you know, our brand. I think our brand has, you know, grown not only um, in terms of, you know, fans and clients and that, but also with our family. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, if there's a, if there's other generations of Double Dan horsemanship, uh, I guess, uh, riders and trainers that, that come up out of our families. I'm hoping and leaning more towards, you know, you know, doctors, golf players, um, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll see where, where that takes us. But, um, yeah, I think that, um, that Double Dan, that, you know, with the two of us in it, it makes it probably one of the, our most unique highlights, um, about the two of us, not only because it's, you know, it's hard the two horse people to agree on on anything let alone to you know work alongside like we have um over the years and not only performed and but trained um you know together so i think that that uniqueness that we bring to the horse industry um you know will be something that that lasts for a long time absolutely and I, and, and that was just following on from that for me i think we're even stronger the fact that we are two individuals because it's almost like and i've said this in heaps of interviews james that it's like we get to live two lifetimes and and we share everything you know it's it's more common now for you know horsemen to to share their knowledge with each other. I know I'm listening to a lot of other podcasts, and um, you know a, a shout out to the Full Contact. They get a lot of um, reigning cow horse guys on there, and and they get some of these guys that um, have been in the in the game.
game for a really long time. And it doesn't matter who they're interviewing, they all seem to bring up that, you know, back when they first started, whether it be, you know, 30 years ago or some of them even more, that the trainers would not share information. They were so worried about other riders having the competitive edge. And it's almost a complete 180 nowadays where this, you can share so much information both, you know, in social media and then also in, in clinics. Uh, but for you and I, that's something that, that I've always appreciated is the fact that if we learn something, you know, separately, we can't wait to bring that to the other person and, and share it with each other. And it's almost like we're getting that double experience, you know, within our lifetime. And that's something that, I, that I'll mention a lot um, when it gets brought up. Yeah, no, that, that's very true, mate. I, um, I think that is a, um, a, a great point um, to it about, you know, especially the sharing of knowledge that, that goes on now from that we, I think that we have even seen in the last 10 years. Absolutely. So coming on, this is another question that's going to follow on. So we'll try to get through these last couple as quickly as we can. Do you guys do in- internships? I'm a trainer looking to expand my knowledge, especially with the Liberty. And this is from Bethany and Turner. And it comes on from sharing information like Dan just finished with that, you know, the last 10 years information is getting a little easier with Liberty horse training for, for, for you and I. You couldn't really go out there and learn it. You know, there was nobody teaching it. You saw people either perform it in a show or you'd watch it on a movie or whatever it might be. Um, but then there wasn't much as far as the education side of things. So both Dan and I do different sort of internship sort of programs and, and it's sort of based on the individual depending on where you are in the world. And I'm sure there's other Liberty Horse trainers that have internships, Bethany, that she could probably reach out to. Um, you know, it's just speaking about myself personally. You know, we get a lot fire our website, being people emailing us in or through Facebook, telling us a little bit about themselves. I, I particularly like to have met the person before I probably get into a internship, having somebody live here on the farm for a period of time. You know, the usual one is, you know, a three-month internship. So if you've done one of our clinics before, it's a great way to get to know them and see that they're going to work in with the team and and, and see that it's all going to work. I know you, James, probably have had more interns than I have. What's your process over there? Yeah, mate, I, I've really tried to encourage people to go a different route, in, like as far as the internship part goes, because I found that, you know, through the internship, there's very few of them that, that really work out. Now, I, I can say that we've been really lucky to have them, have had some great experience with internship, but usually people that, that want to do the internship, they want to come along and, and learn and ride and, and to get those, you know, skills. And the, the, the reality of it is, and I've said this, you know, several times, and this is why that we've changed our our approach our program you're better off like saving your money and coming to along to like whether it be a liberty clinic or right now like we've had um we've had this uh, five-week program going on that's an intense um you know uh, training course where you you know people obviously have the opportunity to bring their horse or not bring their horse and and that way like i'm not you're not just there. the interns you know they're out there doing a lot of other jobs other than this training obviously where this in terms i think is people are going they get more out of it training wise now they're obviously paying to do it so you know it looks a lot it looks a lot different on the time that I spend you know with them because I just can't you know we, neither of us can just kind of stop our business just purely to you know spend all day in an arena helping you know interns come to that want to learn as opposed to a customer and a client and a student that's coming there to dedicate that time to learning so I try to encourage people to go more that route even if they have to wait another year and you know save their money to you know to do it I think it's a much 
much uh, better, more efficient. Um, they come out, I, I tend to see a lot more happier because they're getting that, that time that they're looking for um, uh, spent with them. Yeah, and on the flip side, I guess that goes on to your work ethic and dedication. So there's two ways to look at this, James. It's like you're saying, well, some people say, well, I don't really have the money and I can't do that. And, and then you just said then, James, well, go, spend 12 months, earn the money. And that's what you look for. You say you go out there and do whatever you have to do to get the money to be able to to pay for these services out there, then you're then you're showing your dedication. And in the flip side, you know, I'm still more than happy to say take on an intern, but but I'm really particular as well, if not even more so than probably what you have been in the past, James, with who comes in. And so I'll have people come for short-term work experience. And when I have them here, I'm critiquing them a lot more than they probably realize in the fact that I want to see how eager they are to learn. Like it's one thing to do the jobs, you know, come in and, and muck the yards out and feed the horses and do the stuff that they probably think that they'd rather not do. That's one thing because everybody will come in and do that in the short term, right? They'll all come in and do that in the short term. But it's the ones that then hang off the fence and hang off every word that you might say, whether it's you're teaching somebody else or you're even just being quiet in one of your own training sessions with one of your own horses or like you mentioned before, a client's horse, and they're just visually trying to pick up on anything that they can. But what I sort of see that I get a lot here, and it's and it's typical of, I guess, you know, the era that we're living in with mobile phones, is that when I have interns come in or people come in for work experience, that, that they're happy to do those jobs. And while they're busy, they do those jobs. But the moment that there's a bit of downtime or relief from, you know, bringing in a horse for training or mucking a horse's yard out or something like that, that they get on their bloody phones. And, and I'll be riding a two-year-old yep. or a three-year-old or whatever it might be, these cow horses or these Liberty horses. And yes, maybe I'm not giving them a blow by blow on how to train a horse, but visually I'm a visual learner. I pick up a lot from looking. And so I'm thinking, why aren't these guys watching and then asking a question? And I tell all the interns or anyone coming in from work experience, I'm getting on my soapbox because it's something that frustrates me. You and I and every other horse trainer that we've had a conversation with will say the same thing. It's it's something that's almost a, a dying art in the horse industry is having young people come in with that enthusiasm and work ethic that we've seen in the past. Would you agree? Couldn't agree more. All right. Yeah, I, know, I know you're going to get off the phone and, and I'm not going to be long after you. So I'm going to keep you just for a couple more minutes and we'll see if we can smash through this last little bit. We've got Sammy here. It's a quick one. Why can't steers get back to the USA? Well, in short, Sammy, <laughs> in short, there's the visas and you have to go in and, and apply for some of these visas that we require to travel. And I guess it's up to the border security and the US government to issue them out and at the moment they're not issuing me with a visa so therefore I can't travel I, I, would, I, would, go, I would go one step further Sears, and just put it out there because especially for American listeners a lot of people here in the state have no idea how poor the immigration system is and I've you know spoken many different times and said this you know openly is that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing um, you know and just for our American listen, listeners to put this into perspective if my mum was to come across here and during coming into the country happened to say in the as the border protection person said, you know, what are you doing here uh, coming in? And if she said, I'm coming to visit my son and my grandchildren and, and his wife. And uh, and she happened to say that she was going to help out with um, anything from washing the dishes to, um, you know, taking care of the kids. That is um, enough for her to be denied entry into the U.S. 
Um, so it's not just about, you know, people that are trying to come across here and, you know, deliberately work illegally. Um, it comes down even to a, a visitor such as a family member and or, see, or seers wanting to come across and to come to some of the to some of the shows and events that we have been at, such as the World Equestrian Games, Road to the Horse, um, and be a part of that. And um, that's how screwed up this immigration system is. Yeah, I'm going to stay really um, polite to the immigration system, James. I'm going to just try to stay on the nice <laughs> side so that maybe my next interview goes yeah, a little worked, bit it's worked really well go a little bit nicer <laughs> but the, the the short version as well just to follow on that it's not like your typical justice system where you're innocent until proven guilty it's quite the opposite everybody's guilty of coming in illegally until they can prove their innocence so if they don't want to believe the story of why you might be coming over then then there's nothing you can do there's, there's just nothing so we better move on we've got a Mendoza and I think it's Lee. I'm a young horse trainer from Germany. I would like to hear about your greatest challenges on the way to become a famous horse trainer. What advice do you give, motivate, eager to learn, committed young horse trainers on their way to be successful? You know, that's a really well-written question and it sort of follows on from almost the internship question where I started to get, um, I guess, a little bit in, in depth into our expectations and that's really the advice that I give is, is showing that keenness to learn. Like both James and I have talked about this at length together privately about what we were like when, you know, we were 15, 16, 17, you know, learning from anybody who would spend literally any time with us wanting to teach us anything got to do with a horse. Like just forget about liberty, forget about being famous, forget about any of that, just learning about the horse and showing that eagerness to learn and then repaying that as best you can. And obviously, you know, one of the ways we talk that, that James mentioned was financially, but but if you can't afford it financially is to go with working and and helping those people as much as you can and, and showing how appreciative you are for that information. It's a different industry than so many other industries where you can go out there and just be expected to be paid and, and do a job where it's more of a leisure industry and it's a really hard industry to not only get into, but stay in. Like I, I try to tell people when we have these conversations with young people, James, and you you just chime in if, if you think you've got anything to add to it or um, or, or even disagree with. But for me, when I when I talk to these young people is I try to say to them, you know, all the guys that I know out there that are successful with horses and that's any industry, I know how hard they're working. And if you're not willing to work as hard as them, then go and get another job. Get some other job that's going to pay you money that you can enjoy your horses on the side. But if you want to be a full-time horse person in any discipline, you, you need to be willing to work harder than anybody else, seven days a week, miss out on maybe your friend's birthdays or whatever it might be, um, anniversaries, things like that, all the stuff that that maybe you don't want to give up, you have to be willing to give that up to, to to be in the industry. Would you agree with that, James? Mate, I would go as far as not only just agreeing with that, but saying that we should do an entire episode of our podcast on this subject. Perfect. I 100% agree because we're going to wrap this up because we've got a, a Zoom meeting to get onto and we... Uh, 
and I appreciate you coming on. I know that this episode was really hard to coordinate between yourself, Kim Hagen, and then I'm also heading away on the road and thought it'd probably be a little bit too difficult to try to get us all together um, while I was away. I'm away for 10 days, so the podcast is going to take a, a small break. I'm going to get this episode out and then we might be a little bit behind on getting our episode nine. Can you believe, James, that we're about to roll into nine episodes? I actually can't. I mean, you've done an amazing job. I credit you for um, getting the time um, that you put into it to getting this up and rolling. And um, again, I, I can't say enough about, um, you know, the work that you've put into it, getting Kim involved into it was, you know, a huge deal. Like he's just um, such a great um, friend and, and uh, not assets, the right word to it, but, um, you know, just his important humor that he brings. Um, because the amount of feedback that I've had over here in the States and people that just, you know, that are loving it, I'm enjoying it. And, I, and it's been probably the thing that on a personal level I've taken out of it so much is just to rehash out all the good times and the experiences that we have had on this um, journey so far because it's, you, you don't usually spend the time that we have going through this stuff year by year. And it's brought up so many, you know, great memories and, um, you know, at times not such great memories, um, you know, whether it be broken down the side the road and this, that, now they're swallowing a toothpick. But it's, uh, yeah, it's been great to kind of go back and relive. And, you know, I think that one of the things that we always try to, you know, tell our parents, like, I mean, I, I sit here and I think, imagine I could have got my dad to do a podcast <laughs> on, you know, his, you know, on his life or like on our, on any of our parents' lives, the, the yeah. stories. And I think, you know, one day, what a great resource it will be for our kids. One day, you know, after they've got past the point of like, you know, dad boring, um, to go back and to re-listen to some of these podcasts. Absolutely. I'm, I, I would agree with you 100%. I've enjoyed myself just doing the research for the episodes and, and reliving it. And then when I'm editing them, re-listening to it, I uh, I get a little bit emotional about it, you know, whether it's a bit of excitement or whatever it might be, as I um, re- remember the stories that, that we're, we're telling on the podcast. And and just going back and reiterating, you know, podcasts with parents, I would have just loved to have had your dad on a podcast. George, the listeners, just is a character like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he just, he should be on the Wheat Bix cover or Vegemite TV commercial because he's more Australian than anybody I probably know. And the sense of humor that your dad had, I mean, he, he was certainly funnier than you are, James. Oh, mate, no, no doubt. <laughs> we, no had doubt. A, we had a couple of other questions, but we're gonna, I'm going to throw them to, to the next episode because these are a couple of, from a couple of friends of ours, Tony Lofthouse, which I'm actually doing the clinic um, this weekend with uh, Tony and, and his wife and, and, a, and a bunch of their friends. And then we also had our mate Chip as well, who's almost really asking us a bit of a question, um, a conversation starter, which is probably more suited to when we have um, Kim Hagen on on the line. And it's also a bit of a, a second question about what's the worst advice you've ever been ever taken, not even given, but you've ever taken, which I think will just open up a whole nother can of worms. So I'll leave that. James, I'm going to say thank you for jumping on and I will be talking to you shortly, but thank you to our listeners. All right, see you, buddy. If you like my daddy's podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to share on your socials. My daddy podcasted all ten. Don't forget to share on your socials. What does social mean? <laughs>